You're listening to That Music Podcast with me, Bryson Tarbett. I'm the music educator and blogger behind That Music Teacher and ThatMusicTeacher.com. Join me as I dive into what it really means to be a music educator. I hope that you're able to find a nugget of inspiration each week as I share my favorite ways to create purposeful instruction through active music making. Along the way, you'll hear from some of my amazing colleagues as they share practical advice that you can apply to your own classrooms. So grab a coffee, sit down, and let's get started. This episode is brought to you by my free guide on five ways to better serve students with exceptional learning needs. It can be hard to try to best serve your students with exceptional needs in the music classroom, but it doesn't have to be. There are some simple steps that you can take to help your students while also taking some of the stress off of your shoulders. In this free PDF guide, I'll share five of my top tips for better serving those students that might have exceptional learning needs in your classroom. To claim your free PDF copy, head on over to thatmusicteacher.com slash exceptional learners. So I mentioned this later in the interview, but Stephanie Powell was actually the reason that I started the podcast. If you remember way back, I used to do midweek check-ins on every Wednesday on Facebook and Instagram Live. And as that kind of check-in evolved, we started doing some live guests. And we I had a particularly awesome conversation with Stephanie Powell about adaptive music education. And it really got me thinking because at the time, um, you couldn't save any live videos on Instagram. It was pretty much after 24 hours, they were gone. Um, and I just thought that was awful. And it wasn't, it was, you know, with something as an amazing conversation like we had with Stephanie, we needed to keep it. So it felt right to invite Stephanie to be one of the first guests on season two of the podcast. Stephanie Powell is a wife, mother of four, special needs teacher, and adaptive music instructor. She has lived in Pensacola, Florida for six years and loves serving in her church, serving the community, and spending warm days on the beach. She started teaching adaptive music lessons five years ago when she noticed many of her school students learned music concepts very quickly, but didn't have anyone outside of school to help them develop musical skills. This is an amazing conversation, and I cannot wait for you to get to hear the interview that I had with Stephanie Powell all about adaptive music instruction. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to That Music Podcast. I am super excited for this interview with Stephanie Powell. Um, so, Stephanie, thank you so much for taking some time and talking with me today. Thank you. I'm so glad to be having this conversation again with you and talking some more about adaptive music. So yeah, if you didn't know, me and Stephanie, probably been over a year ago, we did the almost this entire conversation basically on an Instagram live. Um, and it was awesome. And I love the conversation so much. And actually, Stephanie, I don't even know if I told you this, but like that conversation was one of the huge factors of why I started the podcast, because Aww. I realized that having those conversations where they disappeared within an hour or within 24 hours was just a waste. Uh, it was just so much, so much good information that we wanted to keep it. So thank you you for I guess helping me make the podcast <laughs> well yay I'm really glad that you have I think I've listened to all your episodes and oh, I love you know learn things from it too so it's all it's good to have ways to bring the information together and have it easily available for those of us who don't always get the training we feel like we want uh, well thank you so Stephanie will you tell us a little bit about yourself so where did you receive any training you have uh, where do you live and what kind of students and clients do you typically work with Okay. Um, I live in Pensacola, Florida. Um, I've been here for almost seven years, which is crazy. Um, I 
have been in special education and um, have a background in applied behavior analysis. So for about 12 years, I've been working in the field in, in different capacities. I've worked in clinics. I've worked in public schools. I currently work for a private school um, where I'm actually not really the music teacher. That's just something I do, but I teach daily living and life skills um, to our older group of kids. Uh, Training-wise, um, most of that has come from the special education side. Music-wise was just many years of music lessons and then some electives in college, things like that. So my my strength is definitely more of the special, special education and the um, adapting and applying um, skills to help kids learn differently. That's awesome. So other than teaching and working with students um, with exceptional learning needs, what is something that you're really passionate about that brings you joy? Um, <laughs> that's hard to answer because a lot of what I do works is evolved around special needs work, even my <laughs> volunteer work and things like that. But I do have a bunch of kids myself and I love and adore them and really enjoy being a mom. Um, and <laughs> a funny or to me, it's funny, but something I've gotten into over COVID and all the breaks and not being able to go places and stuff is um, growing things. That's a new thing for me. Um, I still like looking at myself and I'm like, why are you turning into your grandmother? But I can't <laughs> stop myself. So, um, which is cool because I told you I teach life skills and daily living skills and stuff. So normally we do job skill training on site at different places, but we're not allowed to do that this year. So now we have a greenhouse and we grow things at school. So it worked out, but it's still strange to me that things keep growing in my house. And <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So before we start talking about adaptive music and what it means to you, can you tell us a little bit more about your role? I know that you said that your, you know, your background isn't necessarily in music. Um, so how did you come about being doing music lessons with your students? Um, yeah, so when I moved to Pensacola, the reason I moved to Pensacola, um, I work at a really small special needs school that is special needs school that is very um, adaptive and individualized. Um, so the kids get very specific schedules and plans and classes and, and things they need to work on. Um, so in that, um, I was asked to do just kind of some unit studies for the whole school. At the time, I think we had 10 kids. Now we're double that. But um, we did some unit studies, and one of the things that we did was music. And in teaching that, just basic stuff, basic different kinds of notes and each note has a name and um, just kind of some composers and history and, and just a big general unit we did. Um, I said we had 10 kids then, at least five of them were just like picking it up so easily and then they would start singing and then they would start humming and then they would start playing around with the instruments and I'm like, they get this and they can hear this. And they're putting things together. Um, so I talked to their parents. I was like, hey, we've been doing this music stuff and your kid gets it. Like they're showing interest and they're showing that they're learning and maybe look into some music classes. Um, so a couple of the parents were really excited and interested in that and um, they couldn't find anybody. 
So I put that off for a little while, but we did start a music class in school. Um, so that became part of our weekly activities was music class and music time. And they continue to do well and they continue to learn and show interest. So eventually I had some of those parents come back and talk me into doing some private lessons. Um, so finally I said, sure, why not? And um, just through that, I was learning. They were learning. We were growing. Words started spreading. People started calling me. <laughs> and eventually I just gave in. was like, okay, we'll make this a thing and started a business and did a little bit of advertising. It really didn't take too much, but um, just kind of created um, more structure and, and um, organization to what we were doing. So um, that's how we got started um, just by watching and learning from that is such a wonderful, re- wonderful way to describe, you know, just watching the students and seeing what, what is working for them. And it is what, what is, you know, what they're latching onto and realizing that that's a need and that that's something that you could fill. I love that you kind of stepped into that um, to help these students be musical. So what does adaptive music mean to you and why is it important? So adaptive anything is just giving someone the tools that they need to accomplish a goal. So um, someone who couldn't necessarily do it by what we would consider normal or um, just the regular way of doing things. Um, So adapting could be a tool that you use. It could be um, changing an environment. It could be a specialized instrument. It could be, um, for me, most of the time with these kids, it's just, breaking down the material and teaching it a little bit differently. Um, when you have kids who don't have language or verbal language, or you have kids who have behavior issues that can kind of interfere with their learning, um, some sometimes or most of the time for me, um, it's just changing the way it's presented and changing the way that, um, that we would normally, quote unquote, do things. Um, so... That's why I use the term. Um, I think it's important because, as I said earlier, these kids were getting it and they were showing interest. And um, when you have a, a kid with special needs, you know, a lot of their time or a lot of their life consists of specialized classes in school, therapy, home. Like they don't have extracurricular activities and they don't have extra opportunities and they don't get to explore um, arts and they don't get to um, figure out if they like baseball just because the opportunities aren't there. Um, I do live in an environment where a lot of those things are offered and it's very cool. But in the past two states that I lived in, those were not options. Um, So I was really excited when I moved here and started seeing some of these things and being like, why, why are we not doing that for everything? Like, why is that not available? And there are a lot of reasons, of course, but just giving kids opportunity to have as much of a regular experience, something fun, something leisurely, something that they can do because they are interested in it and passionate about it and not just their rote everyday education therapy, education therapy um, kind of day, um, but giving them a little more to look forward to and an opportunity to show that they have so many similarities to these other kids or to non-special needs kids or whatever. Um, The other thing that has been 
really amazing to see. I have one student in particular. He was my first one. His mom was the one who um, convinced me to do this. But um, he has started a YouTube channel. And initially that was kind of day in the life of autism teens, um, how to treat people with disabilities, how to ask questions, things like that. Um, But because of his music and because his music has progressed, both of his parents are um, musicians. Like his dad plays guitar, his mom sings. And he is now singing and making cover songs and working on original songs and doing things with his family. So opportunities like that, where he is now able to have this fun thing that he does with his family um, because he was given the opportunity. That is, that's so cool. I love that. So one thing that I absolutely latched onto from, from your explanation of adaptive music is just, you know, giving these students the opportunity that they might not otherwise have. I mean, I think like one of those, one of the hills that I am 100% willing to die on is that every single child is musical. It's just the way that they might show how music, how they're musical might not look the same as someone next to them. Um, and I think especially when we're, we're, thinking about students with exceptional learning needs, we need to make sure that we're presuming competence and, you know, they can be musical. It might just mean I have to change my method of instruction or um, things like that to allow them to be super successful. Yes, exactly. Well said. I always assume that they can. I never assume that they can't. I never, I've had students, I've had students who have come and doctors and therapists and people have said, they'll never do this. They'll never do that. They can't do this. It's not going to happen. And it might take, you know, five years instead of two years, or it might take eight years instead of five years, or it might take a few months instead of one or two hours. But eventually these kids can, and that's what I believe in. And that's what I've seen over and over. Like, I don't, I don't, ever accept they can't or they won't or they never will or it's not possible. Um, And, you know, they may not be able to to the extent that I can, but they can. Um, They can do a little bit. They can do a lot. You don't know. You don't know, especially because most of the kids I work with have autism. And that's different for everybody and every kid. So you can't say, oh, he has autism. He's never going to be able to um, read music. Well, you don't know that. And you're not going to know that until you give them opportunity. And sometimes that's a lot of opportunity and sometimes that's a lot of work, but it doesn't mean they can't. Exactly. So over the last couple of years, I've started working, um, with private students, private music lessons. Um, and honestly about half of my studio are are students that, um, fall somewhere on the autism spectrum. Um, and it has been so rewarding to, um, work with these students because it, just like you were saying, you know, um, you might have, it might take longer or you might need to do it a different way. It's definitely made me have to rethink how I'm forming my instruction. But again, mm-hmm. just like you're saying, you know, some of these students, they've been in a place where people are saying that they, they, they won't, um, they can't, they're not going to. Um, and being able to mm-hmm. see them overcome that and see them be musical um, in whatever way that looks like for them um, is super rewarding. And I absolutely love um, being able to be part of um, creating these musical experiences. So adaptive music education and 
whether that be in the private setting or in the classroom setting, obviously is something that I um, think is really important. And I, I think that you would agree. Um, but what do you think people get wrong about adaptive music education? I think the first thing they get wrong is not trying. Um, and like I said, I've been in the school system. I've worked in different schools at different levels. Um, and there are teachers who make great effort and I love that. And I appreciate that. And there are teachers who say, Oh, why are they in my class again? Why do they keep sticking them in my class? Um, and that breaks my heart. And um, not only for the students, but because I think if that teacher just had the right tools and the right training and the right understanding of the situation they're in, that it would be far less frustrating for them. And they would actually possibly, hopefully, um, have an opportunity for um, new ideas and just to feel so fulfilled when you see these students start to succeed. I just, that feeling um, is so motivating. And so to not have that opportunity, but the, the, the problem I have with teachers who say that sort of thing is the fact that they're not, um, they're not trying. Um, They, they don't, care enough to put in that effort and that energy. Now, I think that tools should be better available. I think that training should be more available. There's not a lot. Um, And what I've seen that's out there is there's room for improvement. So I just did an interview with Lauren Morsenkowski, who is a special education teacher, a certified music educator, as well as a board certified music therapist. And we were just talking about how... I, we think that the majority of music educators, we really want to create these high quality, engaging lessons for, you know, that are super differentiated. But then we started yeah. talking about the reality when we see hundreds of students and we're kind of set up for failure. Um, and it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's really frustrating because I think exactly what you were talking about is, you know, if we were to have these tools more readily available and empower these teachers to seek out the trainings and to have those trainings available um, to give them the tools to better serve these students. Again, I don't think that the majority of music educators that are, you know, that struggle with working with exceptional learners are doing so maliciously. I think it comes from having to juggle everything. And unfortunately, oftentimes it can be these Um, students with exceptional learning needs that kind of lose out due to the juggling of everything else. Yes. um, I think that's a big need. And I am honestly trying to do something about that. Um, We didn't really talk about this, but I have developers and stuff working with me right now. And we are going to have webinars and classes and coaching available in 2021. So, Oh, I'm so um, excited about that. That's yeah, that's not I mean, it's not a help to everybody right now, but it's coming and I there's a need and there are a couple of us who are um, so willing to to try and meet that need. Um, But um, back to what we were saying, the um, the teachers who who need to you got to make the effort. The other thing I was going to add on to that, because I know that the tools are not always available um, and I totally understand that. I think the other piece to it is it's very 
overwhelming if you don't know. Um, and so you just kind of avoid it because it's so overwhelming. So my encouragement is to, to see that in yourself, if that's you, and to do something about it. And while you may not have trainings, you may not have great support in it. Um, some simple, easy things you can do. Um, I say easy. This may not be easy. <laughs> it depends on who your admin is and where you're at. But um, look over your student's IP. And I know Bryson says this, and I'm saying this again, you have every right to it. Please look over your child's IEP. Simple, small things that you can do to help them have a more, more enjoyable experience can be found there. And if you can keep the child engaged or um, help them navigate through your classroom a little bit better, then you're going to see reduced behaviors and increased um, participation. And participation may just mean they sit through your class instead of running around. But yes, and that's the kind of stuff I hope to talk about more and more and more and to have some really good um, focused um, like webinar and teaching materials for how to do that. Um, but if you see in their IEP that um, that most of their classes are only like 20 or 30 minutes and they're expected to sit in your class for an hour, like those sorts of things are, are helpful to know. Okay. So he's only used to sitting for 20 minutes. Um, I'm probably going to start losing him in 20 minutes or maybe even 15 minutes. So to be aware of those things so that you're not trying to figure out what's going on in the middle of it, you already have a little bit of a clue. Um, if your student um, needs help with writing or doesn't write well, well, you want your class to be fun music class. So maybe don't require them to write because don't <laughs> give them other exactly. choices. Let that them is another one select. of those hills that I yeah. will 100% die in is you have, as someone who um, creates an educational opportunity that is in, that has the student in class, you have not only the right to see a child's IEP, but you have the ability and the obligation to follow this IEP. So yes, I'm going to be the first one to say yeah. there's going to be a lot of information that's in this IEP that really doesn't relate to you. But there's going to be yes. some really important stuff in there that does. Uh, for instance, like, like you said, you know, if a student typically has a scribe and if he has a modification that says that, that he has to have um, someone scribe for him, then mm -hmm. you need to follow that. But also that's going to allow you to help make your instruction in your class more uh, appropriate for that student. And especially, like you said, talking about behaviors, you know, if a student is able to, or, you know, has in their IEP that they need breaks or that they need to sit next to a door so that they can, you know, go take a walk every, every, you know, 15, 20 minutes, whatever, you know, having that information ahead of time is going to make you so more successful, which is, again, is going to help that student be musical. Yes. Um, and the other information in your IEP um, that could help you is to know who those students' helpers are. So if it's a therapist or if it's an aide or what have you, um, my most favorite teachers that I've ever worked with are the ones who said, Hey, I know this is just music class and I don't love just music class terms, but people say this. Um, but um, how can I help the student do better in my class? And I'm like, thank you for asking. Here's some ideas. 
Um, so if your student has a behavioral therapist or occupational therapist or even a physical therapist, because the way they sit or where they sit or how they sit or how long they sit matters. Um, yeah. So knowing who to ask those questions to um, is also very helpful and a very big tool for you because those OTs have all kinds of gadgets and gizmos and things in their drawers and their suitcases and whatever they're hauling around that might could help you help a student play an instrument better. Um, or they have that student for 30 minutes, 60 minutes, 90 minutes, whatever each week. And they might could practice hitting a bell or touching a note or I mean, a key or um, striking a xylophone or something like that, they could potentially incorporate that into their session with that student. Um, so knowing who those people are and who you need to contact, um, that's that's a really helpful resource. Um, now, if you have ABA therapy in your school, um, I recommend going to their BCBA, not their RBT. So they have an RBT who pushes in or who is with them a lot of the day. Um, they're not really allowed to give you tons of information um, due to their ethics codes. So go to their BCBA, send them an email with specifics. This is what's going on in my class. This is what, I, this is what I'm asking for. And this is what's occurring instead. Um, and then uh, what are some strategies we can use? Ask them, ask their special education teachers, um, include their aides. I sat in so yes. many music classes. I was an aide at one point and I just sat and, you know, all my expectation was, was to just make sure the kid didn't mess with somebody else or throw a fit in the middle of class. Like I was never utilized to help the child be engaged in the classroom um, whenever they were incorporated into other classes. Um, so use them. <laughs> Don't just have them sit there. And by use them, I mean give them expectations, let them know what to do, not just be like, okay, go do this. Like, okay, here's what we're doing today. Here's a piece of paper so you have an idea of what we're about to do. We're going to adapt it this way. Let's go. Um, like have a relationship with them where you can do that um, and not just – expecting them to move the kid out of the room as soon as they start making too much noise. Exactly. I think that's one of the big things of how often teachers, um, especially music teachers, having so many students can feel overwhelmed is because they try to do everything themselves. Um, and that that's never going to work. But mm -hmm. thankfully, yeah. you know, we have the this team of, of, of professionals that are, you know, highly trained in their field that can offer you insights into how you can kind of relate that into your music classroom. So again, if you have a BCBA, if you have, even if you don't have the BCBA, have like their intervention specialist um, right. or, you know, their OT speech, I mean, having this team of people can really help you do the best that you can in your classroom. And again, you're, you don't have to reinvent the wheel every time. You reach out and see, you know, what's helpful in this situation. Sometimes that will be directly helpful in your mm -hmm. classroom. Other times they might give you an idea of what might be helpful in your classroom. Um, it's just one of those things where, you know, communicate, be part of the educational team of the student, uh, because that's one mm -hmm. thing that I think music teachers often forget is because we serve students that are, you know, that have IEPs, we are part of an IEP team to an extent. So working right. with the rest of that team to best implement that IEP and in broader terms, working with the team to best educate that student. 
what advice do you have for music teachers that have students with exceptional needs that come in like a self-contained setting? So how can we best serve them musically and otherwise so that if they're coming in a self-contained setting, we're still allowing them to have musical goals, but also, again, presuming competence? Um, yes. Okay. So when you have kids in a self-contained um, setting, um, it may be easier um, to actually get more done um, or to make bigger progress because you can be a little more individualized to those students. Um, so... What we do, what I like to do is kind of break down the task, consider what they do already know, what you're sure they know, and then um, kind of think about what the next step is going to be. So um, if we know that, I mean, even very basic, you have to consider everything. So if we know that they know their letters um, but don't necessarily know, um, the note names, but they know their letters. So you can match letters, to notes. Um, you're not going to have them immediately go and just read the notes. And it's really, when you think about it, it's not that much different than teaching any other student. It's just that you have to break it down a little more meticulously and then maybe present it differently. Um, but we still, we teach in kind of levels or layers. We teach this concept before you can learn this concept. It's the same idea. There's just some things that you don't necessarily think about. Like, um, okay, I want to use color-coded music. Um, well, what if your student doesn't know how to match colors? That's something exactly. you have to think about and consider. Um, so it may be that you have to teach that skill first. Um, and... That's one of those things that they are most likely working on with their other therapists. So exactly, so it um, all comes back for to working with that team. Yes. Um, so ask that question: How are you presenting this? How are you working on this? And how is it going? Because I would like for this student to be able to. I use a lot of color coded notes initially with most of my students. And so far, all of them have been able to move out of that. But because of that is a skill that I know that they are learning from day one of therapy is matching um, and then identifying colors and identifying letters. I mean, those are some very basic skills that you start out with. So because I know that um, I know that to give them best success is to use the skills that they already have. Um, so if I can match color to color um, and then introduce the letter and introduce the, um, the line that they, that that note sits on and introduce all of that little pieces at a time, then I build up that skill and reduce so much of the frustration because we're taking baby steps instead of trying to leap over mountains with skills we don't have. Um, so that's, that's how I address all of that is know what they have and teach everything little step, one little step after the other. Sometimes they'll skip a step. Sometimes they'll move through one really fast and go to the next thing. And then you sit a while on that. Um, so just keep that in mind. It's not there. They, they have their strengths. They have their weaknesses. Um, just like any other student, just some is much more obvious. What I love about that is when you really boil it down, 
it's just kind of good teaching. Like it's not anything specific to this exactly. you know, group of, of students. It's just reading the students, seeing where they are, seeing, you know, how can we get from point A to point B with the least amount of frustration, but mm-hmm. still moving forward. I like how you said, you know, reducing frustration by taking baby steps, but we're still moving forward. It's not like we're trying to leap because if we kept trying to leap over the mountain, like you said, we might not get anywhere, but by yeah. taking baby steps, it's take, it might take us longer or it might take us, you know, more increments, but we're still moving. We're still showing growth. Yes. Um, the other thing about um, having that teaching all within the kind of the same group and same abilities um, that's pretty beneficial is you can have individualized um, reinforcement. Um, here's the rule. <laughs> a reinforcer is not a reinforcer unless it is, it is actually improving whatever it is you're trying to improve. Um, so you can give the whole class candy and that's great. They all got candy, but if your kid doesn't like candy, um, then you're not doing any good. Or if your kid takes the candy and eats it and continues to make the same mistakes over and over, then you're not doing any good. Um, so I have students who work for breaks, students who work for pick your own song time. I have students who work for, um, edible reinforcers. I have students who work um, to get done early. Um, So when you have that smaller contained class, self-contained class, um, you have a little more freedom to do that. So take advantage of that because you will see much faster progress when you are able to give the student what speaks to them instead of trying to give some sort of blanket um, point system or whatever that doesn't really motivate them or mean very much to them. Um, so that's something to take advantage of if you are lucky enough to have a class like that. So in addition, um, if you have a self-contained classroom, um, another thing that you can definitely use it, and you talk about this and you have some good resources for this um, is individual schedules. Um, so you can, I'm incredibly lazy with this. Um, I just draw stuff on a whiteboard, um, and give that kid their whiteboard and they can check it off. Or I write down things on a piece of paper. Um, I still do a lot of zoom right now. So we have a document open with our checklist of things to do. Um, but, um, being able to, help each kid know what comes next and what's expected of them and have some tangible way to see that and interact with that is also a big plus. Um, You can still do that in um, integrated groups, but it's definitely easier to get really individualized when you have that self-contained group. Exactly. Visual schedules are my jam. Um, I absolutely mm-hmm. love them. And honestly, they keep me on track so much. <laughs> like I find them. Yeah. Just, I feel like I find them yes. so helpful as well. So I, it's, I, if you haven't used a visual schedule, I totally encourage you to look into that. Or they start using them to keep you accountable. Like, okay, you said oh, yeah. we only had to do this <laughs> time. Now we have to do the next thing. Move that thing over. Yeah. <laughs> So what advice do you have for teachers that see their students in kind of a social mainstream environment? So they have like an integrated group with their typical peers. Yeah. Um, so this is definitely harder and I, and I get that. And again, like I said earlier, like 
try, make the effort. It's not going to be perfect. Um, it may very well take a while to figure it out, but my, my, um, applause to you goes when you're making the effort. Like I, um, because I know, I know you don't, I know you don't have everything you need. Um, and hopefully we can change that and hopefully we can keep talking like this and change that. Um, but you're going to gain experience and you're going to, like each year and each student, and you're going to find that it comes easier for you. So please just start with making the effort. And when things go crazy and it doesn't work, please do not get discouraged. Um, so I just really want to say that because I just, I know that you're going to get excited and you're going to try something and then it's not going to work or there's going to be um, some burst of behavior or something. And you're going to be like, this doesn't work. That's, that's how it works in special education. Like you keep trying until you figure out what works and then you stick to that. And as you gain experience and as you see more and more kids, you start to see, okay, this is more likely to work than that did. Or um, if I avoid this, then I can have better success with that or things like that. So I just want to preface everything by saying um, it probably won't work the first time because you don't actually know what you're doing. You don't have experience and that's okay because you have to start somewhere. Um, and that effort is very commendable. Um, so one of the first things and I've already kind of mentioned this is, um, use the people you have. Um, so if you have an aide, please put them to work. Um, do not just expect them to keep your kid quiet give them tools and give them ways to help them participate in your class. Cause they don't come into your class or at least I never did um, knowing your lesson plan for the day. And they don't come to your class knowing that you are going to have this worksheet and their student may not be able to write down the answers. But if we had some words written down on pieces of paper and cut them out, then they might could stick them in the right spots or they exactly. might draw a line or make a circle or something like that. Um, but they don't know that walking in. So you have to um, use them with the tools that they need um, to, to, to help their student that they're responsible for. Um, the other people that I recommend using, um, if you can, are their peers. Um, peer imitation is very, very, very powerful. So if you have a great student who I mean, you can watch it. Sometimes these kids will click with each other and you'll just kind of see them get along and see them show interest in each other. And um, if you can use them, um, don't don't push your three ESE kids into the corner while everybody else is working somewhere else. Um, exactly. Let them have that opportunity to interact and to bond and to to figure out ways to, to work together with each other. Um, that's a very cool thing when you start, I do, um, summer music camps and my music camps are open, um, to like families know that special needs kids are there, but everybody's welcomed. And it's just the sweetest time to see those kids interacting with each other and not caring, not caring that that kid looks different or that that kid talks differently or that that kid, um, doesn't say hi back when I say hi. Um, but still engaging with them and working with them. Um, so give them that opportunity. Give your other students that opportunity um, because they'll remember it in a few years um, and they'll treat people differently. 
Exactly. Um, others, other things are just adaptations in your, um, in your materials and your curriculum. Um, and I alluded to this a while ago, if you have a worksheet, um, have some cards that your students can point to, um, to answer the questions or have some pictures so they can point to, to answer questions. The more you give them the opportunity to respond in a way that they can respond, um, the more they're going to enjoy the class and learn and be willing to be in that class. Um, so give them those opportunities. Don't assume um, things like if you have a kid who comes in with like a, a speech device or an iPad that has some sort of speech program on it, don't assume that they can use that super well. Um, that again, that's something you can learn maybe from your IEP or from talking to their speech path. But um Usually, especially in elementary school, they're still learning how to use that and how to navigate that. You don't just give a kid this app full of pictures and they know how to navigate it or how to use it correctly or how to express their feelings. So don't ever look at them and just ask them a bunch of questions and expect they're going to be able to answer that. Just know that. Um, if you have a student who doesn't speak um, at all and maybe doesn't have a device, um, don't assume that they can't answer questions. Um, you can, I have a piece of paper in front of me right now, actually, where I had a student and he, he does speak some, but he just could not get what he was trying to say out. And so I wrote yes on one side and no on the other. And I stuck it in front of him. And first I practiced like, um, questions that he does know, like, is this your name? Yes. Um, are you at school? Yes. And then we got into what we were trying to actually get to. Um, it does not have to be complicated. Um, but you do have to, give the kids tools that they can actually use depending on where they're at and what their level is. Again, ask these questions. Um, how do they communicate? Can they find pictures? Can they sort things? Can they answer yes and no? Um, how well do they use their device? Things like that are things that if you know ahead of time, you can prepare in your class for. Um, and it, it will be kind of time and work in the very beginning, but once you have it figured out, like, you know, okay, I have four kids who don't really talk, but they can find pictures. So, um, I have this worksheet I have for everybody else. I'm going to pull up four, pull up a few pictures, make four copies. And then there it's done. Like once you figure these things out, you can prepare each week. Um, however you need to, that's why read their IP. <laughs> so you have some ideas of how they communicate. Um, or how um, knowledgeable they are with their device or whatever it is. Um, so that's something I recommend. Give them every opportunity to participate. Let them touch everything that everybody else touches. Um, if you have instruments, now there are situations. Um, I, um, I had a student who would just pick things up and throw them. Um, it was really hard to determine why he was doing that um, or when he was about to do that. So I used desk bells and I made a board that I put holes in and then zip tied the desk bells to that board. Um, he no longer had the opportunity to pick my bells up and throw them across the room. Um, so things like that, where he still has the opportunity to play with everybody else, but I had to eliminate 
that possibility for him. Um, so you had to think about, think through those things sometimes and kind of get creative, but he still has the opportunity and he does play with everybody else and he can play with everybody else. Um, so those are, those are the kind of things to look for. I love that. And I love how the majority of the advice that we've been talking about today, it kind of boils down to talk to those other people that are part of his educational team. Um, because I, I think that really brings it down to, again, remembering that we don't have to do this alone. We we're not expected to have all the answers, right? We need to at least seek out the answers when we don't have them. So speaking about seeking out some more answers, where can we find some more information on adaptive music education? There are a couple of resources that um, I recommend. Um, one of them is a book that came out last year, um, Creative Miracles um, by Kelly Surrett. She um, has lots of years of adaptive special education music teaching. She um, has some expertise that I don't have and that she has worked with a lot of deaf and blind students. So I learned a lot from her book because she had um, information that I wasn't even aware of for like electronics and apps and things like that, that you can use to work with um, kids with those sort of disabilities. So I love that. And then she also like, you could read her book and have, um, have like lesson plans for, however many weeks. I don't even know. It's several, but she like gives you step-by-step things. Yeah. So that's, that's been a big, um, a big resource that's come out that I think it's very practical. Um, It definitely speaks to music teachers, um, but I think it it would work well for anybody working with kids who want to help them learn music. Um, And so that's a big one that I recommend. Um, Adaptive music specifically, I just have not found tons of things for. So I'm going to say, um, look at music therapy. Um, they do yeah. contribute a lot to it. There is difference between adaptive music and music therapy in the clinical sense and that music therapy works with different goals than adaptive music. Um, so they're using music to accomplish goals. Adaptive music is music is the goal. Like we're teaching to play music. Um, but a lot of their, um, ideas play over really well and are very helpful, um, and to, to work with these students, um, occupational therapists make friends with them. Um, I have a friend who's an adaptive music teacher who is also an occupational therapist. And I just text her when I have questions and say, Hey, (laughs) I can't make this work. What do you think? And she texts me and says, Hey, we're having issues here. Um, so, Make friends with those people. (laughs) Use your resources. Um, Make friends with them. Um, And then I'm trying to think. Um, I get a lot of information from, like, just people I follow on Instagram and um, learning from them. Um, But I don't know. For whatever reason, adaptive music teachers don't like to put a lot of stuff up. So I have to ask direct questions. Um, But... There are a few of us out there um, and seek out those things, those people. Um, Classroom management wise, um, the autism helper is one of my favorite resources. Um, And it's not specific to music at all, but 
but if you are working with special education, um, she has really, really good tools for working and managing special education classrooms that you can use um, to teach music as well. So even like ways she organizes things. She talks a lot about schedules, um, centers and things like that. You can really make some of her ideas more musical just by changing the materials and um, using that in your classroom as well. So awesome. Well, I will be sure to put all those links in the show notes. But before we finish today, can you tell us where we can find more of you? And if you know, where will we be able to look for those trainings that you're going to be putting together? Yes, I am on Instagram and Facebook, Melody Makers 850. That's how you can find me there. Um, My email address is melodymakers850 at gmail.com. And then if you go to my website, melodymakers850.com, that shouldn't be changing when we switch over things um, and when everything's finished. But um, melodymakers850.com, you currently can go there and subscribe to my email list. And so if you get there, um, that will give you a good opportunity to get all the info as it comes available um, for those webinars and trainings and things like that. If you're interested in just like some consulting or coaching or something like that, um, I'm very willing and ready to do that now. Um, It just won't be quite as pretty as when we get everything put together. Um, But I definitely can still do that and get you set up and and started doing some things like that um, now at any point. So I'd love to hear, you can just email me that that you're interested in that and um, we can get started with that. All right. Well, Stephanie, thank you so much for talking with me today. I um, loved our original conversation about a year ago and I'm glad that we got to do it again for the podcast. So thank you for taking some time out of your day and talking to me about something that is super important. Yes. Well, I'm so thrilled that you are so passionate about it and that you make such effort to share it. And I really enjoy this conversation as well. Oh my goodness. Thank you, Stephanie. If you found this episode helpful at all, I would really appreciate you leaving a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Not only does this help me understand what you find most helpful, it also helps more music educators just like you find the podcast. To check out the show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned, head on over to thatmusicteacher.com slash show notes.